0: Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. This morning we continue our series, The Christmas Story Includes You, and uh, it's based on, as I was meditating a a week or so ago on Romans 15, verse 8 and 9, when Paul said, for I say that Christ became a servant of the circumcised on behalf of God's truth. The circumcised are the Jews, to confirm the promises to the fathers, that's the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so that Gentiles, that's everybody else, including you and I, may glorify God for his mercy. And as it is written, therefore I'll praise you among the Gentiles and I'll sing praise to your name. And what we're doing is we're looking at the genealogy of Jesus Christ found in Matthew chapter 1. And I'm pointing out uh, Gentiles that made it into the lineage of Jesus Christ. And today we're going to talk about the story of Rahab. I love a quote from Adrian Rogers that says, Nature forms us, sin deforms us, prisons try to reform us, Education informs us, but only Christ can transform us. That is so true, right? When you think about Rahab, she is a living example of what I just said. Now, there's no secret. If you're familiar with Rahab in the Bible, you know that she was a prostitute. Um, She sold her body to make money. She was a sinner living in spiritual darkness. She knew her people were going to be destroyed and she needed God to do something and to save her. You know, Rahab is mentioned three times in the New Testament. Um, we find out that in Hebrews 11, you hear me say and, and other preachers say that Hebrews is God's hall of fame for those that had faith in the Lord. Well, she made that. In Hebrews eleven thirty one by faith, Rahab the prostitute welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. We'll talk about that more in a minute, but but Rahab demonstrated faith and she hid the spies and sent them out another way, and that was her faith talking. Not only that, but James, the Lord's brother, who became a An elder in the Jerusalem church says in James chapter 2 25, in the same way, wasn't Rahab the prostitute also justified by works in receiving the messengers and sending them out by a different route? Now, you just read a similar thing in Hebrews 11. In Hebrews 11, the emphasis was on faith. Here in James, the emphasis is on works, but the truth is they go together. If you truly have genuine faith, your faith works. Your faith is not just talk, it is walk, okay? And so the evidence of her faith is the fact that she hid the spies and sent them out a different way. And so her faith and works were working together. She is mentioned in Jesus' genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. It says in Matthew 1, 1, an account of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah and his brothers, Judah fathered Perez and Zerah by Tamar. We talked about Tamar last week. Uh, Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Aram, Aram fathered Amminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz by Rahab. And then Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth, Obed fathered Jesse and Jesse fathered King David and David fathered Solomon it goes on you know it wasn't un- it was unusual for women to be included in a genealogy uh in in, in Jewish culture because they traced the, uh, the-, the 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 fathers you know going on down the line through the generations but did you know when you read that uh, when you read that genealogy again and you start adding it up, did you know that Rahab the prostitute? was King David's great-great-grandmother. Wow. I remember the first time I read that and went, wait a minute, what? And you start looking at it and you start writing it down and you're like, what? Rahab the prostitute was King David's great-great-grandmother. What an amazing story. Let's see how in the world did that happen. The story is found in Joshua chapter 2 in the Old Testament. Joshua chapter 2, and very quickly you see the dilemma that Rahab is in. There in Joshua 2, the Bible says that Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two men as spies from the Achaia grove, saying, Go and scout the land, especially Jericho. So they left, and they came to the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, Some of the Israelite men have come here tonight to investigate the land. Then the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab and said, Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, for they came to investigate the entire land. So these two spies end up in Rahab's home. I'm sure, unfortunately, it was a place where a lot of people were. And word gets out. These are Israelites. We know why they're here. Word gets to the king, and the king says, I know they're there, let's see them. Now she's got a dilemma. What is she going to do? Is she going to give up these men to the king of Jericho? Now, if you grew up in vacation Bible school, you know the story about Jericho, where, you know, the Israelites marched around Jericho, right, seven days. On the seventh day, they marched around seven times, and then they shouted, and the walls came, what, tumbling down. When we talk about Jericho... That's the part we remember. What we forget is that Rahab lived in Jericho. And the spies have come to check things out. And now their cover's blown. What is Rahab going to do? Maybe the question to ask is, what would you do? Let's look at the decision she made. Joshua 2, verse 4. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. So she said, Yes, the men did come to me, but I didn't know where they were from. At nightfall, when the city gate was about to close, the men went out, and I don't know where they were going. Chased after them quickly, and you can catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them among the stalks of flax that she had arranged on the roof. The men pursued them along the road to the fords of the Jordan, And as soon as they left to pursue them, the city gate was shut. Now, consider why did Rahab lie to the king and risk her life, which is what she's doing. She's lying to the king, and she's risking her life to protect these two Israelite men. Ultimately, the scripture says it was because of faith. She had a decision to make. She could have ratted out these guys, and that would have been the end of it. But she saw an opportunity. She saw an opportunity, and this is where her faith enters into the equation. There in verse 8 of Joshua chapter 2, before the men fell asleep, remember they're hidden up on the roof, before they fell asleep, she went up on the roof and said to them, now listen to her words, I know that the Lord has given you this land. And that the terror of you has fallen on us. And everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you went, before you came out of Egypt. And what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings, you completely destroyed across the Jordan. When we heard this, we lost heart. And everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now please swear to me by the Lord that you will also show kindness to my father's family because I show kindness to you. She's done them a favor. And guess what? She's wanting them to return that favor, right? She says, show kindness to my father's family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brother, sister's, and all who belong to them, and save us from death. She knew what was coming. The men answered her, We will give our lives for yours. If you don't report our mission, we will show kindness and faithfulness to you when the Lord gives us the land. And then she let them down by a rope through the window, since she lived in a house that was built into the wall of the city. So that's probably why they went to her house, is she had a house built into the wall of the city. If you got to get out of Dodge quick, Jump out the window and let's go. But look at what the rest of it says there. It says, um, go to the hill country, she said, so that the men pursuing you won't find you, she said to them. Hide there for three days until they return, and afterward go on your way. And the men said to her, we'll be free from this oath you made us swear, unless when we enter the land, you tie this scarlet cord to the window through which you let us down. Bring your father, mother, brothers, and all your father's family into your house. If anyone goes out the doors of your house, his death will be his own fault, and we will be innocent. But if anyone with you in the house should be harmed, his death will be our fault. And if you report our mission, we are free from the oath you made us swear. Let it be as you say, she replied, and she sent them away. And after they had gone, she tied the scarlet cord to the window. I think that's my favorite part of the story, is that after they had gone, she tied the scarlet cord to the window. I know that's not very dramatic. I know it's just like ho-hum, but there's something in that. She immediately applied her faith. She knew that, you know, they were going to hide for three days and then go on back and give a report, and then eventually they will come and take the land. She could have been one of those procrastinators that says, oh, I've got plenty of time. I've got the scarlet cord here. I'll do it when I see them coming. No, she immediately took that scarlet cord and tied it in the window, probably gave it a good knot. She's ready to go. She has demonstrated her faith, and she's waiting on God to fulfill the promise. Notice that her faith and her obedience were working together. Her faith sparing the men's lives and her obedience tying the scarlet cord in the window, waiting for them to uh, fulfill their promise. Her faith and obedience were working together. Now, obviously, they were spared. Let's look at how that happened. Turn to Joshua chapter 6. And there's just a few verses there that give us the rest of the story. Joshua 6 verse 22. It says, Joshua said to the two men who had scouted the land, Go to the prostitute's house and bring the woman out of there and all who are with her just as you swore to her. So the young men who had scouted went in and brought out Rahab and her father, mother, brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her whole family and settled them outside the camp of Israel. They burned the city and everything in it. Uh, but they put the silver, gold, and articles of bronze and all that into the treasure of the Lord's house. So before they destroyed the city, they went in and got Rahab and all of her family with her, got them to safety, And burned the city to the ground. God was good to Rahab. She had an opportunity to be a part of the covenant people of God. And she did. She she hid and protected the spies. Sent them another route. And as a result, she asked for a favor. Will you spare my family? And they did. And now we read about her in the genealogy of not only King David, but Jesus Christ. What a story. What a story. Now, what I want you not to miss today is this. Rahab became a believer because of three things. And I want to look at those three things. And I want to ask you this morning, are you a believer? And if you're not, I want to go through these three things and just make you think about it for a minute. You see, Rahab became a believer in the Lord because she heard about what God had done. She heard about what God had done. Go back and look at it again in Joshua 2, verse 9 through 11. When when Rahab, just before they go to sleep, goes up to the roof to talk to these men, she says to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has come or fallen on us. And everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. We have heard, and she begins to recount, when y'all crossed the Red Sea and came out of Egypt. We've heard that. We heard what you did to Sihon and Og, the two Amorite kings, and destroyed them. And we know that you're coming for our land and that God is going to give it to you. The God that you know, love, and serve. She says, when we heard all this, we lost heart and everyone's courage failed because of you for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. (laughs) You know what? Faith is like a little mustard seed, isn't it? It starts very small and it starts very simple. But then it begins to grow and become something all on its own. You know... There's debate sometimes about how much do people need to know to be saved. They just need to know that there's a God and they can put their trust in him. And they don't have to have a theology degree. They don't have to be to 10 years of Sunday school. They don't have to read the Bible five times to come to that conclusion. When they begin to realize there's a God and I can put my trust in him, then they make that choice to respond to the revelation of God that he's revealed to them. Have you heard? You know, God has done everything that's needed for you and I to be saved. I love what uh, Chuck Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement, I think he preached through the Bible four or five times in his lifetime. And someone asked him in his elderly years, they said, "Um, if you had one thing to say to people about reading the Bible and what we need to know, what would you say? And boy, was it a, a, a gold nugget. He says, you know, we live in times where people think they've got to say something or do something to get God to respond to them. He says, when you read the Word of God, God has already spoken. And God has already done. He sent His Son. And now He's waiting for you to respond to Him. You think about that. No wonder when the human authors of Scripture, particularly in the New Testament, they would start out with doctrine, and then they would move toward duty. You see that in Ephesians one through three verses chapters four through six, and I could go on and on and on and on. But the point is, God has already spoken through His word. God has spoken to us in these last days through His Son. and Jesus has done everything that there's necessary. Jesus has done everything needed for you and I to be saved. God has spoken. God has done something on our behalf and now he's waiting for you to respond to him. That's powerful. Have you heard? Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation and the Lord offers it as a gift and he's purchased it with his own blood. Rahab became a believer because she heard about what the Lord had done. She also became a believer in the Lord because she believed it was possible to be spared from destruction. I mean, here she was. She knew that God was with these men. She knew that God was with Israel. She had heard everything that happened in Egypt, the Red Sea, the Amorite kings. And she even says, your God is a God of the heaven above and the earth below. That's what she knows. And she believes that maybe, just maybe, if I'm kind to these men, maybe they'll be kind to me. And if I'm kind to these men and and these men are kind to me, then maybe their God will be kind to me too. All that's going on in her heart and her mind. In Joshua 2 verse 12, she says, Now please swear to me by the Lord, that you will also show kindness to my father's family because I showed kindness to you. Give me a sure sign. Now, usually when people want signs, it indicates uh, kind of a, a weak faith, uh, a developing faith as opposed to a mature faith. A mature believer doesn't necessarily need a sign. They can, they've come to the point to where they can trust God uh, and his word. If God says it, that's all I need to know, right? But um, she needs a sign, and I'm not going to condemn her for that, but she was staking her claim. She was drawing a line in the sand. She says, give me a sure sign that you'll spare the lives of my family and save us from death. And, of course, they did that. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to jump to the New Testament for a moment and just tell you that sometimes we need to be reminded that God can save anybody. Here is a Gentile woman in a pagan culture, and she's a prostitute. And she ends up becoming the great-great-grandmother of King David, a man after God's own heart, and included in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Wow. God can save anybody. Paul told Timothy, a young man in the ministry, First Timothy 1, verse 12, he says, I give thanks to Christ Jesus for our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful appointing me to the ministry, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I, Paul says, am the worst of them. But I receive mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now that word example is where we get our, in the original language, it's where we get our word template from. And so what Paul is literally saying is I am God's billboard number one, that if God can save me, he can save anybody. And when you look in the Old Testament, you look at Rahab, and I think she would say the same thing. Hey, if God can save me, a pagan prostitute, then he can save anybody. If someone said it like this, it's not the amount of faith that matters. It's the object of faith. Who is your faith and trust in? Rahab knew enough to know that the God of the Israelites was the one true God. Her faith caused her to welcome the spies and then send them on their way. And her faith caused her to hang the scarlet cord on her window. In theological terms, she was in spiritual kindergarten, but it didn't matter. It wasn't the amount of faith. It was where she placed her faith. She was trusting God. And that's what matters. That's what changes your life. And that's what changes my life. Rahab became a believer in the Lord because she heard what God had done. She believed it was possible to be spared from destruction. And number three, she exercised faith by helping the spies and tying the scarlet cord in the window. You see her faith Not just talking, but walking. You see the works that it produces. That's what Hebrews and James is about. Hebrews says, by faith, Rahab did this. James says, also, Rahab was justified by works because her faith led her to do this. Faith produces works to demonstrate that your faith really is real and genuine. Anybody can talk a good game. But when your faith works, it proves that your faith is real and genuine. I want to share one last thing before I wrap this up. And that is the scarlet cord that she tied in the window. Some very good theologians have said, did you know there is a scarlet cord of redemption that you can trace all the way through the Bible? And you can. Uh, I don't have time to do that, but you can. I'll give you a short version of it that, that Adrian Rogers did. He says, when you go back and look at the beginning of human history, Adam and Eve sinned, and what happened? God ultimately clothed their nakedness with animal skins, which implies that blood was shed. That animal had to die in order to provide the skin to cover up their shame. And so from the very beginning of the garden and human history, We realize that the shedding of blood is what takes care of our sins. Cain and Abel, the two brothers in the first family, they wanted to worship God and bring him an offering. Abel brought one from the herd. Cain did not. And God did not accept Cain's offering. Why? Because Hebrews tells us in chapter 9, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. When God told Abraham to take his son Isaac, take your son Isaac, your, your only son whom you love, take him up to a mountain and worship me and sacrifice him to me. And that sounds weird, but in those days and times, unfortunately, a lot of pagan idols were worshipped through child sacrifice. God is not like that. It was a test. The scripture tells us that. But I think God was testing Abraham to say, I've given you a future through your son, and all my promises are wrapped up in that son, but I want you to sacrifice that to me and worship me more than anything, including your boy. And Abraham was willing to do it, and, and God spared it from happening and provided a ram in the thicket, and, and, and they took the ram, and they sacrificed the ram, and they went back and worshiped together. That animal's blood was shed instead. And then, of course, on the night that Israel was delivered out of Egypt, remember the Passover? The Passover lamb that was sacrificed, and they took the blood of the lamb, right? And they applied it to the doorpost. And that night, the death angel passed over, thus the name, The the death angel passed over Egypt, and it took the firstborn Son of every household. But wherever it saw the blood over the doorpost, it passed over them. They were spared that death. They were spared that judgment. Um, Israel was in Egypt that night. Even in the tabernacle and later on the temple, thousands of animals were sacrificed and their blood was spilt as a sacrifice for sin. And then finally, in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, he dies on that cross. He fulfills the prophecy and the promises from God. And it's that scarlet cord, that scarlet thread of redemption. You know, that's what, it, that's what makes it possible for you and I to be saved. It's the blood of Jesus There's no one so bad they cannot be saved, and there's no one so good they don't need to be saved. We all need to be saved. I'm reminded of Nicodemus. You know, Nicodemus was a religious man. He probably knew all the Bible answers. He probably knew all the Sunday school questions as well. He was a religious man, but he came one night to talk to Jesus. And when Jesus began to talk to him and say, you must be born again, he didn't know what he meant. He just didn't get it. Ultimately, Nicodemus did get it, and he did become a believer. He was one of them that took care of the body of Jesus after his his crucifixion. What about the woman of the well in John chapter 4? She was a Samaritan woman. She had been married five times and was living with a man who wasn't her husband. And she meets the Messiah, Jesus, one day. When she's done talking to him, this woman that's avoiding everybody runs to town and tells everybody, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And of course he was. You read her story in John 4, and at the end of the day, after the town comes to go, what on earth is going, what's happened to this woman? She doesn't talk to us anymore. What's going on? Let's go check this out. They meet Jesus. And after a, a, a day with him, they go, you really are the Savior of the world. We believe now, not just because of what you said, talking to the woman, but we've seen ourselves and we really do believe that he is the Savior of the world. Let me wrap this up with one last thing. If we're saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, that scarlet thorn, uh, cord or thread of redemption, then let me, a- let me answer one last question. What does the blood of Jesus Christ do? You might want to write these scripture references down and meditate on them later, but let me give them to you quickly. What does the blood of Jesus Christ do? 1 Peter 1, verse 18. Peter says, For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like that of an unblemished, spotless lamb. I wasn't redeemed by silver or gold or a 401k or whatever you want to put in there, Bitcoin. Let's get modern, right? But I am saved by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless, stainless, spotless lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. Look what else it says, Ephesians 2.13. Paul says to the church in Ephesus, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You you may not have grown up in church. You're not a religious person at all. And you probably go, I can't believe I'm even here today or maybe even watching this online. But let me say this to you. The blood of Jesus Christ can take someone that's far away from God and bring them near. All because of the blood of Jesus. I can be saved. You can be saved. We can be forgiven. Colossians chapter 1 verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, referring to Jesus Christ, and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I love that. I wish I had an hour to expound on that scripture right there, but I don't. But let me say this. That shows how cosmic the effects of, the, of, of our redemption through the blood of Jesus really are. What do I mean by that when I say cosmic? Remember the curse? Remember the fall of Adam and Eve? And God says, cursed is the ground for your sake. And then go to Revelation 21, and, and, and now the curse is reversed. There's a new heaven and a new earth right here, the redemption of Jesus Christ will ultimately reveal one day the sons of God and it will ultimately one day reverse the curse of sin and there'll be a new heaven and a new earth and oh glory, how good is it going to be? It's going to be awesome. And then of course, 1 John 1, 7, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. See, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Let me read one more and I'm done. Revelation 12. John has this vision and he hears things and sees things. And Revelation 12, 10, John John is talking. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven, Say, the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have now come because the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been thrown down. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony for they did not love their lives to the point of death. Did you see that? The saints that are going to be in heaven someday, they're there because of two things. Because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. I want to tell you how to get to heaven for a moment. The blood has already been shed. But you got to have a testimony. What's your testimony? Do you believe that God loves you, that he sent his son to die on the cross for you? Do you believe that he rose him up from the third day? He, he ascended uh, to the Father, and one day he's coming back. What is your testimony about Jesus Christ? Do you believe he's the son of God? Do you believe he's conquered death? Do you believe he's the savior of the world? Do you believe he's done that for you? You see, the gift is available to all. But it's not applied to all until you put your personal trust in Jesus Christ. Will you receive him today? Will you call him as Lord and mean it and believe it with all your heart? If you do, you too can be saved. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.